you are about to see something incredible from Tyco. Silver Streak Curve Huggers now defy gravity as they hang on through Tyco's new double loops. But that's not all. Turn out the lights. See the headlights go on. Watch the whole set glow in the dark for real night racing and light up your youngster's face. Night Glow Double Loop Racing. From Tyco, of course. Welcome to Frequency 13, a safe space for Generation X, episode 23. A lot to talk about. I'm in a new space, I got to tell you. uh, You like the word space? That's more of a millennial word, isn't it? It's embarrassing that I even said that, but I'm in a new space. Uh, I had to move my podcast area. My studio really has changed. (laughs) So... I moved it just because things were getting too crowded. Now, you know, we did the the big basement project. Uh, That's not a suitable space for podcasting. If you have any experience with audio, you know that uh, those uh, bare floors are, you know, they're, uh, I use that vinyl plank, which I'm not a fan of. I'm not going to get into that today, but not a fan of that stuff after I've finished it. But it's an echo chamber. I don't have anything on the walls yet. You know, we don't have a whole lot of furniture down there. So I definitely don't want to try a podcast in there. Now, I do have a closet down there that might be good for podcasting, but it would make it too crowded to be usable. So I've moved into this area while I work from home. So my day job has me working from home still. So I, uh, I, I've moved in here. Now, that said, today was a little late day because this uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting started late Saturday. I'm going to tell you that, and I'm doing it in the morning. Sometimes I like to do night podcasts. Sometimes I like to do really early podcasts. This one is late in the morning. It's almost 10 a.m. where I'm at, and <laughs> I have two young ladies. They uh, daughter had a friend stay the night. They stayed up late, watched movies, et cetera, et cetera, but they are in full swing this morning in an adjacent room <laughs> having breakfast, playing on their phones, you know, and laughing and having a great time. So that's that's really cool. You don't want to put a stop to that kind of thing. If you have kids, you know what I mean. You don't you don't curtail that kind of fun, right? So <laughs> they're doing it and uh I think that we're going to be okay on sound. I did a couple of checks earlier. I think we're going to be okay. So if not, forgive me. Uh <laughs> right off the bat. Now let's talk about So last week we talked about popcorn, microwave popcorn and I got my hands on some naturally. And I you know what? I was looking at a popcorn maker thinking, you know, maybe I want to do a popcorn maker in the basement. I think a microwave makes more sense. Less mess. I'm a bagged popcorn guy. That's what we did, you know, and I don't have a problem with it today. I I tried it. I love it. They have all these sprinkles you can put on the stuff too now. So you can flavor it up any way you want. Yeah, it's a different popcorn than I'm going to get from my actual popcorn maker. Okay. The trade-off is the mess you make. <laughs> I, I don't. Come on, man. I, yeah, that's just to me. It's not worth it. Anyway, I'm not that big of a fan of popcorn to make that kind of a mess. I like popcorn, especially the movie. You know, popcorn and maybe some of those uh, Mike and Ikes and and a cola drink. Oh, baby, <laughs> I'm in heaven. Bellyache heaven later. But you know what? That's okay as long as you got a good movie to watch. So uh, things are looking pretty good. Feeling good. I got some of my movie posters, and I'm going to hang movie posters up, and I may reveal which ones I hang up at some point. Maybe I'll put them on the website. Uh, so you guys can see how, <laughs> what the tastes have. No, because we let it, we split it up among the family. Everyone got to choose their own kind of, 
you know, theme out theme theme uh, themed posters. So I've got some classics from Gen X, and we'll talk about those uh, one of these days. Uh, and then, so another thing about the popcorn bags I want to follow up on is they tell you the instructions tell you not to use the popcorn button on your microwave. We talked about the popcorn button. Well, why do they have a popcorn button on a microwave and I can't use it? And it warns you on the bag. Well, obviously, sometimes you can do it wrong and burn them and, and whatnot. And I I tried it. I didn't let one go all the way to the end. I got down to about eight seconds and the popping, got a, the space was a little too far, so I ended it. But I still had some unpopped kernels in there. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. You let that sucker go too far, it's going to stink like burnt popcorn. You can't get that out of your nose, man. <laughs> It's going to take all night. So uh, I, I just wish they would talk to each other. You know, the, the microwave people and the popcorn bag people would have a conversation. And by the way, I had Act 2. I'm going to try Orville Redenbacher this week, but I had Act 2 uh, for my little movie snack. So uh, let's see here. Last week's Simpsons. We got a lot to talk about tonight. I didn't, let's just let's go over that before we get into Simpsons. So we're going to talk about the Space Shuttle Enterprise program, right? Uh, that, and, and you're saying enterprise, I'm not familiar with that space shuttle. Of course you're not. It never went into space. It landed, didn't go into space. And we're going to talk about how it came to be called the enterprise and why. And then, uh, Columbia house music clubs. You remember those? <laughs> you tape a penny, mail it in. <laughs> maybe you put the stamps on, maybe you just filled in the, the letters from the code. Uh, I did the stamp thing. And then we're going to talk about slot cars. You heard the commercial at the beginning, baby, racing slot cars, nothing funner. Uh, and Tyco, that was the brand, right? I mean, that's that, that was the brand that was uh, a big deal. They had the best commercials. You wanted one for Christmas. Tyco was it. And what happened to Tyco? I'll talk about it. It's a sad, sad state of affairs. And I, I blame video games <laughs> for a lot of the stuff. I haven't talked about RC cars either, but it's the same situation there. There's just so much to do in the video game space that some of these other real-life hobbies just kind of lose their luster, I think, to to the youth of today and maybe for good reason you know i mean if you can do if you can do so many things virtually and it's so cool well why would a kid want to go out and do some of that other stuff uh, you know i can see it both ways all right let's get into our simpsons trivia so last week came from homerazi that was the 16th uh, episode of season 18 and let's see here what does homer wish for his birthday before he blows out his candles, right? What does he wish for? Infinite hamburgers is the answer. <laughs> it's a reasonable wish, right? Infinite hamburgers. I mean, that's how can that go wrong? I, I mean, <laughs> anyway, that, if you got that right, I hope you did. It took a little, I mean, that wasn't a simple one, right? You had to really pay attention to it. Uh, not as hard as some of the other ones, but it was, it was complicated. Now, uh, Let's uh let's talk about this week's episode and this comes from season 8 episode 6. Oh. Homer! What? Are you ready? Just got to put my shoes on. The only thing I asked you to do for this party was put on clothes and you didn't do it. <laughs> so we see Homer playing with his slot car set in the living room, both controllers, one in each hand. You race yourself? Did you guys ever do that? Play with slot cars? So he's he's racing both of them, and Marge is wiping the Bart's face, of course, got to clean his cheeks. He's got his little short pants on with a suit and tie, and they're getting ready to have people over, having the, the dinner party. 
<laughs> and this is the episode, by the way, where uh, Kirk and Luann get into a fight and they're uh, doing charades. Remember that? And Martin says, why don't we all have a few drinks? <laughs> it's just, it's perfect. If you, if you, as adults, we've all been to somebody's house. Things didn't quite go right. <laughs> the dinner party didn't quite do what we expected it to do or, you know, play the way we expected it to. Somebody was pissed off, right? We've all been through that. So uh, anyway, the question at this point in time is, you know, there was these fortune cookies and, and during the episode, where did the fortune cookies that Marge served everyone come from? Where did the fortune cookies that Marge served everyone come from? And that's it's going to be very interesting because it, it comes up in the show and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's uh, let's move on to this week's uh, first topic, and that's the space shuttle Enterprise. Now, the Enterprise landed right. This was like the testing platform uh, for 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 the uh, for the space shuttle before we launched one into space. We would drag it up in uh, on the back of a 747, and they would uh, let it, you know, drop it off or whatever, and it would it would come off and then glide uh, to the ground. And this thing started. I mean, it was right after Apollo, so they they started thinking about this, you know, way back. And so by '72, they'd actually awarded a contract for this thing, and and uh, uh, the. Uh, the thing was made actually without engines. So if you ever look at it, it's got like this, uh, it's got a, it, it doesn't have a functional heat shield either because it didn't need one, but it had all the other parts and the back of it looks kind of weird because it doesn't have engines on it. But, you know, listen to this. This is, this is the, this is the explanation of the, of the shuttle program here uh, from a, a news broadcast. To lower the cost of space flight. In Apollo, the spacecraft was flown once and then became a museum piece. The shuttle's first orbital flight is scheduled for March 1979. After being blasted off from Cape Canaveral by two reusable solid fuel rockets and three liquid rockets, the shuttle, weighing more than 100 tons, will be put into Earth orbit. It can carry scientists in a shirt-sleeve atmosphere, as in the European Space Lab, already being built to fit the shuttle. It'll be able to drop off unmanned satellites of all kinds and pick up those that are broken down to bring them back to Earth for repair instead of leaving them as expensive junk floating in space. Its landing will be a dead stick screamer. Weighing 75 tons empty, dropping at nearly 7,000 feet a minute, it'll come howling into Cape Canaveral. You have to make the runway the first time. There's no second chance in this unpowered approach. If you land long, you have had it. Landing the shuttle is... ...tests, with the shuttle being dropped from a 747 to see how well it flies, begin next July. About $7 billion to date. Each of the first two orbiters cost a billion. Future ones will cost half of that. As well as carrying scientists, the shuttle will earn money by placing commercial satellites into orbit. Now, so this was originally supposed to be called the Constitution. That's a pretty good summary of how this thing works. Pretty expensive, too, right? But, you know, that's, uh, we were, you know, there was a lot, there's a lot of controversy about the space program in the 60s during the civil rights era and what we were spending our money on as a country. So there's a little bit of frustration there. We don't want to discount that. But we were still we were still going forward with this thing. And so we had the, the, the Constitution is what it was going to be named, uh, OV-101 instead of STS. Uh, and it was it was going to be named the Constitution, but they decided uh, in 76 there were Fans, fan, the fans of Star Trek, the Trekkies, right? Us people, my people, <laughs> were uh, 
they, they petitioned, they sent a petition to Gerald Ford, president at the time. And, <laughs> and, and he agreed to rename it USS Enterprise because of the hundreds of thousands of letters from the Trekkies. And so when they re- christened it and renamed it, uh, Gene Roddenberry and the whole cast, except uh, Shatner, actually, came out and, and attended the Enterprise rollout ceremony. Now, I don't know why Shatner didn't attend. I'm not familiar with that. Maybe I should give him a call and ask. I think he'll think he'll respond to me. I may I may I may tweet him and see what happens. I bet he doesn't respond. That's my that's my bet. But I'm curious. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and if I get a response, you'll hear about it here first on frequency thirteen. So uh, that you know that's how it how it came to be to be called the Enterprise. Now I barely remember this part of it because I was you know I was six, right when this thing. Uh, when this thing was starting to get its operational testing. And I remember seeing images of it, and I have that impression. And obviously, I was really into space, so I just don't have a solid recollection of it. But I remember the big 747 and this thing flying on the back of it and how weird that looked. And I'm like, man, that looks so heavy and all these things. And it was heavy. But you forget the lifting power of a Boeing 747. It's a pretty damn big plane. And I'd certainly never been on one at that point in my life. So I didn't, I didn't know the difference. And you're watching things on a little tiny TV, right? So anyway, can you imagine being the pilot of the first landing without, I mean, you, you can't take off again. You heard that guy. You can't take off again. You can't do a touch and run, come back around and give it another go. That's it. That is it. And... <laughs> Uh, now the, 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 the good news is there were ejection seats and they, uh, they were actually on Columbia too. Those same ejection seats, Lockheed made them. They're called zero, zero ejection seats. They're kind of cool. Worth looking up, but you know, so that would, that was the plan. If, if you were in the space shuttle, you could eject from the space shuttle during this first mission. So that's, I don't know that they don't really get into a whole lot of that because I don't think, you know, it's probably not, not popular to talk about. NASA has a reputation to protect and there you had some issues over time, but it, uh, it was, it's a fascinating, fascinating little piece of, um, history is our, our space shuttle enterprise and really gets us into the space shuttle. And there's a lot to talk about on the space shuttle, but, uh, the, the way this thing worked, you know, was, was when, when they brought it in, they put it on a uh, at, at, at Edwards Air Force Base in California, which, by the way, I have an interesting and sidebar trivia, not trivia, story for you. And it's interesting. My, uh, my, uh, God, I don't even know how, I don't know how to do relatives, right? But my uncle's cousin, does that make sense? Uncle's cousin. So my uncle and his cousin used to fly ultralights together, ultralight airplanes. And this was, uh, this is the 80s. You know, and they were fairly popular, and this company made them. They were called the Eagle something, and they were kind of a covered wing, fabric-winged ultralight aircraft with an enclosed cockpit, which was kind of different for an ultralight at the time. Most of them were just kind of like a a lawn a lawn chair, excuse me, like a swing seat on them, you know, kind of like a glorified hang glider with a the motor. These looked more like airplanes. I mean, they really did, and they had a nice little uh, Rotax engine in them, and they could fly a long way, and it, you, you flew— uh, Flew by road, IFR, right? So anyway, they uh, they had a small gas tank. So uh, his name was Danny. And Danny had lived in California near Bakersfield. And he had taken off and was flying with his, uh, with his wife. Her name was Dora. And they took off and uh, got low on fuel, got into a little, little issue there. Now, a pilot can make an emergency landing at any airport, okay? And 
that's exactly what happened. So he lands at Edwards Air Force Base. Now, this is what's interesting. They didn't pick him up on radar. Uh, he, he, he called for, you know, an emergency landing, all that, you know, wasn't getting a response. And so he comes and he lands, uh, <laughs> lands on the tarmac. Radar doesn't catch him. They don't know he's there. All of a sudden he's rolling up to where the, you know, where the, I, I call it not the hangar, but where the, you know, the people that run the airport are. I don't even know what to call that thing. The terminal. I, it's an air force base. I don't know, but he rolls up to it and they're freaking out. They're like, who the heck is this guy? And they, you know, they took him into custody, right? It was a big deal. It's like, who the hell is this guy? This is the Ace Cold War, baby, you know? So they drag him into custody. He tells them the story. They're, you know, like, are oh, you got to be kidding me? And so they actually go out there and measure, literally drain whatever was left in the, because he was out of fuel, drain the fuel that was left in there and uh, calculated how much, how far, how much further he could go before they determined that it was a bona fide emergency. And anyway, they ended up giving him a patch, right? Some kind of a patch from the, the Air Force and all that. It, it ended up being a positive story, but, you know, it was pretty scary, right? <laughs> but anyway, that was uh, that's the Edwards Air Force days. That, that's the same place the shuttle, uh, shuttle had landed, too. So pretty big runway. And now we know that, well, I don't know if it's true today, but at the time, a little uh, ultralight could get past the radar of the Air Force. So maybe I'm, am I supposed to say that? We'll see what happens here. If they come after me and the, the black helicopters land in the backyard, we'll know. <laughs> now, I don't want to get into Challenger today. Uh, I'm going to get into Challenger at some, at some point. And that was the second, you know, uh, orbital craft that, that launched. And, you know, it, it. the only thing I'm going to say about it is this. That, and the, man, I, this is not, you know, call it whatever you want, conspiracy theory or what, but... If you look at the different shuttles, the Challenger was the only one that had the what I my favorite NASA logo actually stenciled on the right side, and then they had the American flag on the left side. Now I don't know that obviously it doesn't mean anything, but I find it interesting because all of the other NASA uh, shuttles, Columbia, Discovery, Atlantis, and Endeavor, all have the NASA logo on the left and the American flag on the right. So just saying, something seems strange. Something seems strange. And uh, I'll leave you to your <laughs> devices there in imagination. But isn't that interesting? I wonder why they did that. That's, uh, that might be worth the whole episode itself. But but first, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about something a little lighter, and that's the Columbia House Music Clubs. Do you guys remember those? I know you do, because that's all we saw and heard. If you had a if you got a magazine or a TV guide. There's usually a two or three page spread, and it listed all the popular artists, et cetera, et cetera. I've got a, in fact, I've got a great, I've got a great uh, a commercial here. So let's uh, let's let's play the Dick Clark commercial here. Dick Clark with a music bonus from the Columbia Record and Tape Club. Look for the gold box. Hold it, hold it. Uh, I'm Dick Clark with a double music bonus. Not just one gold box, but two. Two. Why didn't they tell me? <laughs> well, I'm telling you now. You'll also get more top albums worth $80 at suggested retail prices, all for just a penny when you join. All this music is right here in the double gold box ad. Choose from over 400 albums. And where you saw one gold box in the coupon, you'll now see double. Two gold boxes. Fill them both in and get two bonus albums along with the other albums of your choice for just a penny. You'll get superstars like Pat Benatar, Billy Joel, Queen, the top names and hottest albums in the business. So look for the Columbia Record and Tape Club Gold Box. 
double gold box ad in your Sunday newspaper. You know, Dick, they really should have told me. <laughs> All right. So, uh, did did you guys do that? I know you did. Everybody did. We all did. And I took, I remember taking a penny. Well, first let's talk about how this works because it's, it's actually, uh, it's not a positive thing. The way they, the way they did this was, was actually a very, a negative situation. The, uh, the membership scheme they had was they would give you the records, right? Or the tapes or the eight tracks or the CDs eventually, and then what you did by sending that in and ordering them is you were promising to purchase a number of records and tapes at full retail price plus shipping, okay? And I don't know if the prices were, were fair or not. Uh, and then you'd send them in and, you know, typically you'd get one. And if you if you didn't make a selection or click the box or, excuse me, check the box that said no thank you and send it back to them, that would be considered a neg- negative option billing. So you would just get the selection of the month, and they just mail it to you without, and then they send you a bill. So you didn't even have to ask for it; it just showed up. You remember those cardboard boxes? They were in there, yeah. Because I did this later, by the way, as an adult, when I was fully complicit and willing to do do what it said. Because I, I didn't mind, I didn't mind playing the game at that point. But remember, the first time I did this, I, this is where I'm going to tell you the story. I, I put a penny on the the thing, and I selected my records. I only remember two of them: my Sticks Paradise Theater, right. Sitting on a bar stool, talking like, <laughs> yeah, it sounded real cool. So I got that one, uh, and then I got Air Supply because I like the album art, which was a big hot air balloon, and I was familiar with it. I didn't, I really didn't know much, you know, what to choose at the time. So out of all the selections, I know I chose Sticks Paradise Theater and some Air Supply album that had a hot air balloon on it. I should look that up, but <laughs> I, I guess so anyway, I get my al- I get my rag, I got cassette tapes actually. I get them, they show up, and. Uh, I'm rocking out to them or whatever. And, you know, eventually the letters start coming, right? Uh, the letters start coming, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And grandma and grandpa become wise to the whole situation. You're saying to yourself, how did you get your hands on the cassettes without anyone noticing? Well, we had a regular mailbox on the street. This is summertime. I just, I would go get the mail. So nobody paid much attention to what I was doing. I get the mail and put the bills on the counter or whatever. And, I would go about my business. So all of a sudden I had these, these tapes. And again, nobody, nobody's paying attention to this kind of thing. You know, uh, plenty of things going on, soap operas and all the other, you know, uh, cl- cleaning auto parts with gasoline, you know, things like that. Important things were happening out uh, on the rest of the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Pletz, uh, uh compound. <laughs> uh, and so I, I'm, I'm listening to my tapes, having a good time, uh, listen to them all start to finish. And I listen with headphones typically, you know, some big old curly Q headphones, not, that's dissimilar to the ones I'm wearing right now. And I listened to this this music and had a great time. And then the letters start coming. And then the letters start coming. And they're becoming angrier and angrier because we're not, you know, participating in the game or whatever. And uh, I'm confronted by Grandpa Platt. <laughs> I'm not going to use the language. <laughs> uh, or to the threats, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, he, uh, he let me know in, know in certain terms that... He was very displeased <laughs> with me at the time. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So after uh, after getting through that, he sends him a letter. And he sends him a letter saying, look, you've made a contract with a 10-year-old, and we are not participating. You know, you want to send the albums back or whatever. He, he writes this letter and sends it to him, and I'm not allowed to listen to the cassettes anymore. I have to keep them. 
you know, separate so we can send them back to the good people at Columbia Music House. And eventually, you know, there was a, I think there was a letter came back and, and it, you know, basically said, I, it got him off the hook and it, you know, we were done with it. We, we had dis- dissolved our agreement at that point. And by the way, everyone forgot, I started listening to my cassettes again. <laughs> so I feel bad today. Should I send Columbia House a couple of bucks to, to make it right? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going <laughs> to. But anyway, I know other people did because I've read plenty of uh, evidence uh, on the internets researching the Columbia Music House that uh, a lot of people were doing it. Now there was a lot of other issues too. They they were around a long time. Actually, they just they did they go bankrupt until very recently. And really, digital music, you know, it was going to kill them anyway. There's really not a way to not a way to do it, right? So by 15, they had literally uh, excuse me, no, it was bankruptcy in yeah 15. And then they started. Now they're they're starting to do this vinyl subscription service. You guys know vinyl, right? It's back in style. You guys all know that. Uh, my daughter's into it. She has a record player, uh, which interestingly has its <laughs> has a USB port in it. <laughs> but uh, and then so they're re- remaking vinyl records, and she she loves it. There's something about it, and her generation's really enjoying that. And remember, she's not a she's not a millennial. She's part of this uh, Generation Z thing, which is really cool, uh, because they're making fun of millennials the same as I do. So we have a lot of fun together, <laughs> a lot of fun together around the house, making fun of millennials, which my son is part of, but that's, uh, that's okay. <laughs> All right. So let's see here. Uh, what else we got today? We got, oh, slot cars. We got to talk slot cars. Now slot cars, ah, man. So did girls play with slot cars? I don't really know. I don't really know because I can't think of any of my either cousins or girls in the neighborhood that had a slot car set that we, you know, we played slot cars. So I don't, I don't remember, tell you the truth. I'm not sure, but I did. I had a slot car set, I had the figure eight track and, you know, you heard the, you heard the commercial at the beginning, right? So that was like the basic, you know, slot car thing. And then we've got these too. These are the fastest racing cars in the world. New Magnum 440s from Tyco. The fastest cars in the world. Racing over 800 scale miles per hour. And these Magnum 440 Corvettes come in Tyco's new Magnum 440 TurboVet set. Watch those 440s hug the curves, tear down the straightaways, and you can make all these different layouts with bends, curves, thrills. Now you can drive the fastest cars in the world. Magnum 440 TurboVet set from Tyco, of course. Of course. Now, if you've ever been involved in a hobby, you know, these kinds of hobbies, they attract a certain type of person. And I'm one of those people, actually. It's uh, maybe it's the uh, podcaster in me. I I don't know. But I've always I I was into I was into uh, radio controlled cars for a number of years. And it really was attracted to it for whatever reason. And you 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 take it very seriously when you're involved in these things. I mean, very seriously. I had I had a lathe. So I could cut commutators in my electric motors for my radio-controlled cars, and and I'd balance them, and you would uh, you you take care of your tires and and dope them up. Guys would dope up the tires and get them ready, and you'd have tire warmers. I mean, you took it seriously. It was a big deal. It's just hobby racing, but you know, it's one of those things where you really poured a lot of time and effort. It was a lot of fun, and and I've made I made some really good friends during that period too, actually. So. Uh, I, I get that. And the reason I bring that up is because the slot car thing in the late 70s, early, same thing. 
Same thing. The guys that were involved in that were very serious, really going back to the 60s, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, in fact, it is the 60s. By the time they're in the 70s and 80s, we're into the, tight, into, into the Tyco world, the Magnum 440s. And the Magnum 440 uh, was something that came from the guys that uh, the guys that were serious hobbyists. And they had, you know, started to tune these cars, et cetera, et cetera. And they came up with these with the idea that, yeah, okay, we're going to, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make better cars. And the original tracks were like in uh, in hobby shops and things like that. And they were these big, long tracks. And the rail was all singular metal, so there wasn't any joints like the Tyco sets. You know, it had that clackety clack, um, and you had to be careful because if you had too big of a gap or the the metal came up too high remember to throw your car off uh, and and so that's where it started these big tracks and they'd have multiple lanes and i've seen them i've seen them in real life i've actually got to run on one uh not too long ago i, I found one in south dakota of all places and uh, we were doing some other things but i got to go run on their track a lot of fun <laughs> a lot of fun you know i never i never really got into the you know the tuning the cars but you remember my episode on stompers it's the same basic motor as the stomper just geared differently and in fact a lot of the guys we would take our stompers and we would pull the if you had if you knew somebody that could solder you would pull your uh your motor out of the slot car and you would put it in especially out of a 440 you'd put pull it out and, and stick it in your stomper to try to make it go faster we'd race stompers too you know you, you kid you race everything right we've talked about it. we race bubble burger packages down gutters with water water from guys washing their cars and, and uh, letting the lawns mow right so you race anything as a kid i think they still do today i hope they do that's a lot of fun we have talked about hot wheels racing that's coming up anyway slot car racing was, was a pretty serious deal when i was actually in uh well, I'm, I'm getting too far ahead of myself here but so Tyco had a, had a, I mean, they, they made a lot of money on slot cars and originally slot cars didn't have that, you know, uh, well, what do you call that thing? It's got like a resistor in there and you can vary the, oh, I forget what it's called, but you know, you pull the trigger. Remember you'd feel the metal going across the little springy thing. God, what is the name of that thing? That's embarrassing. That I don't know that. And here I am doing a show. Shame on me. <laughs> anyway, that, that allowed you to control the speed. And your instinct, of course, when you're by yourself was to see how fast you could go. And you'd always lose it on the corners, man. I don't care who you are. They had those little little guardrails, little yellow guardrails you clip in. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> what the hell was the point of that? <laughs> uh, and the magnets got better eventually, and they'd really stick, right? Because they had upside down tracks. But early on, you know, you hit, the, you, you hit a corner. You better be slowing down. But you had to have the wherewithal to slow down. And during a race, a real race with one of your buddies, slowing down was death. So, you know, <laughs> maybe it was just me, but I'd always fly off the corners during a race. I get a little too, too carried away, right? Got got the guy coming up behind me just a little too close, and then boom, it would go <laughs> go off the track. And they got more and more. I mean, there was computer-controlled ones. It really got serious. And then it kind of, you know, dropped off a little bit. Well, that's... That's what happens. And then RC kind of became more popular, and Tyco had an RC division, and they were pretty serious about that. And they were still doing slot cars at the time, and they you'd change lanes. They did all kinds of cool stuff, man, to make it to make it cool. The cars became more realistic and detailed, and you know they tr they tried a lot of things to keep this thing going. The sets got bigger, right? My original set was again like a figure eight, but some of the sets were huge by the time it was all over, uh, and now. You can, oh, Rio stat. See, I knew I'd come up with it. That little trigger thing, that's on a Rio stat. 
<laughs> varies the uh, the voltage going or the current going into the uh, to the track. So <laughs> I don't think you can get electrocuted from it, by the way. But I always assumed you could. Anyway, uh, it was really just a stretch from the model train stuff. So the model trains were not dissimilar, and they had a rheostat too. If you remember the Tyco model train set, it had a rheostat controller as well. It wasn't it wasn't a trigger you know, gun type setup, but the, uh, it was the same situation. And then eventually RC cars had a similar thing to a Rio stat, uh, on the way they would control speed. And that was a radio control. So you didn't have to do the same thing, but, uh, it would, it would, it would essentially, you know, do the same thing. And you would, uh, you'd send that, uh, signal via radio waves and I have no wires. Uh, and so that was obviously the next iteration because the racing was fun on slot cars but you had wires and you're fixed where you could be etc cetera, etc cetera. and then radio control cars and, and again we're going to get into radio control at some point but it gave you the freedom to cut the wire cut the cord as it were so made a lot of sense i mean hell xbox took them a long time to do it right remember the quarter controllers on on all of our video games and eventually there was a wireless controller yeah crazy stuff but anyway, so that was that was it, man. That was slot cars. You guys, did you guys have one? Which one did you have? Did you ever get into stuff like the Sidewinder, the Angle Winder, you know, the Pancake? Those were the, some of the different motors, right? You could s- swap those out. And, you know, you have different armatures to make it go faster, and then you re-gear them. I didn't get into that seriously heavy version of slot cars. For me, I'd get a better car. I mean, I wanted a better car. And we had a little hobby shop down at the Valley Fair Mall that had the cars. And I so I had a 440. And, man, it was fast. It was too fast for my track. That was the problem. I didn't have a big track with a big straightaway. I had this stupid, you know, figure eight thing. You couldn't get any speed on that. So I, I jumped that sucker off the corners all the time. I had some friends that had long tracks, though. They had pretty big basement tracks. And usually that was a, a function of a parent or a father that was, like, into it, right? So then you go over there and play on their track and oh man, heaven, <laughs> heaven. Anyway, so you know what we're gonna talk about next week? That's all I have for slot cars. Slot cars. We're gonna talk. We're gonna get to radio control at some point. Probably not next week. We're gonna get to it. But next week, I want to talk about the mini series. I want to talk about the mini series in our collective popular culture because menageries, whatever you want to call them. And to me, these are the unsung television films that they last a few nights. And, you know, they were just event television, right? One of my favorites to think about is Langoliers. Uh, the Stand. There, I mean, air, there was an airport shows, right, where they'd, they'd have multi-nights and they'd have this air disaster thing going. Man, I love that stuff because it was an event. You looked forward to it. It would show up in your TV guide. It was either on the cover or they'd be advertising it the week in advance because I love TV guide, by the way. I just saw the Seinfeld episode with the TV guide, and it took me back because we had TV guides. We get one every week grocery store. And it told you so much information. And that's what you did. I mean, you literally looked through the TV guide to see what was on. I We weren't channel flip. You had three channels you, and you, you didn't have a remote control. You weren't getting up flipping the damn channel, right? I mean, you were looking at the TV guide and, you know, at eight o'clock, a, a television program comes on, you adjust the channel to that. And if you don't like what's on, you look in your TV guide, see what else is on. Maybe you flip over somewhere and see what's happening during a commercial, whatever. That's, I mean, that was television and that was, that was good enough. And I think about that to this day on how we do things now. And it's it's kind of went back to that, in my opinion, because now I will I oftentimes I don't flip channels either anymore. Now that we have everything streaming, I don't have actual television. I haven't had it for years. Uh, and I go to my computer or phone and I kind of see what's available 
on Netflix and read about the stuff before I commit to it, and then I'll start watching it. And I got to tell you, my my show right now is called, <laughs> it's on Amazon, Shit's Creek. If you haven't seen that, if you haven't, and I'm, I'm late to the game, I get it. Oh, my God. Do you remember Best in Show, the movie? Best in Show? It was that, uh, was, eh, shoot, was that the 90s? Maybe 2000s? I don't even know. It's old. But they uh, went to a dog show, and it was all the characters that were showing their dog. Oh, my God, it was funny. I mean, it was hilarious. Anyway, the same couple that was in Best in Show, this is the couple, that are the main couple in Shit's Creek. And it's, oh, guys, if you haven't seen it, please do. It is hilarious. I've made it through to, like, season three now and just absolutely in love with the characters and the development and everything else. So that was off topic. <laughs> all right, now. Do me a favor, before you uh, race down to eBay to look up your Tyco slot car racing set, reach down into your favorite podcast app and click subscribe. Give us a five-star review, and it really helps the show get in front of our friends and the friends of Generation X. And if you're on Facebook, look up the show. Join and like the page, Frequency 13, and that's Frequency 13. Uh, the blog, Frequency13.com. I have expanded show notes there uh, on select episodes. I'm also on Twitter at Frequency13POD, or email me at freq13fm at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for listening, and all the best.